0: the worship team for leading us this morning worship all right we are we're continuing through the series uh, to be like jesus which is the little subtitle that is hitting the mark characteristics of our life uh, that should be present if we are making jesus uh, the center of our life if we are following him if we are a disciple and uh, we we sang today two songs that had the word Lord in it. the very first one. We said yes Lord, yes Lord, yes yes Lord. We said it over and over again, and then uh, later on we talked about Lord in the in the third song as well. Jesus being the Lord of our life, and that's the that's the topic we're going to look at um, in this series. So far, we've talked about these distinguishing marks, and the first one was a disciple of Jesus loves God. A disciple of Jesus was the second one was disciple of Jesus loves others, and last week. Uh, Major John Bennett preached on a disciple of Jesus is committed to scripture. And then today we're going to talk about how a disciple surrenders to Jesus' lordship. So we sing about this all the time and we're gonna, today we're really going to get into what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord and then are we surrendered to him. So here's the big idea for today. Number one, Jesus is Lord already. Whether you think so or not, he's already Lord. So that's the first thing. And then the next one is our question now. Are you surrendered to him? Am I surrendered to him that 's what we 're going to look at so uh, let 's just open in prayer and then we 'll get right in Jesus. I pray that before we uh, we open your word and before we spend time uh, digging into what your scripture uh, tells us, I pray that the holy Spirit would here would be here preparing our hearts and softening us and opening us to us up to the message that you have for us. God, I pray that we would remove the distractions, the busyness, of the things that we came into this uh, building with, the things from this week, and we would be focused right now and ready to listen to whatever it is that you have to tell us. God, we just want to be um, open vessels today for your word and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so. Jesus is Lord, are you surrendered to him? And then we're going to look at uh, specific verses as we hear Jesus define what life in Christ is going to look like with him being our Lord. So first, Jesus is Lord. What does it mean? It's always good to start with a definition because we just sang Lord like a hundred times in these songs so we should know what it means. So the very first thing, uh, a Lord, the term Lord, is given to someone who is in control or who has authority over right? Someone who, who, who can exercise power over someone or something. So that's the idea of Lord. And in the Bible, uh, Bible times it was used as a term of honor or respect. So even random people could get the title of Lord. And we see that a couple times. There's um, Jesus did a lot of miracles, walked around teaching and preaching, and his ministry was vast and varied. And one time this guy who had leprosy Horrible disease came up to Jesus, fell on his knees, and he said, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean, heal me. So he's saying, Lord, someone, he's he's giving Jesus a a title of honor or respect, someone who is a teacher or a a healer, heal me. Just a few verses down from that instance with the leper, all of the disciples were on a boat, the huge storm is, is crashing around, and they're all scared, and they run to Jesus and they say, Lord, Lord, save us, don't you care if we drown? So again, they're giving a title of respect or honor. But but what's important to know about the word Lord is that as it's applied to Jesus, its meaning changes after the cross. Okay, so we see this in uh, John, in, in the Gospel of John, when Thomas, who, who missed out on seeing Jesus' first uh, resurrection appearances after he had died, been dead for three days, and rose from the dead, he missed, he wasn't there when Jesus showed up to his disciples the first time. And so he, that's why we call him doubting Thomas, because he's like, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. And so he showed up, and Jesus said, Here, Thomas, you can touch the holes where they put the nails. You can touch the holes in my feet. Here's the hole in my side where they you know, ran a spear through me. And then Thomas gets down on his knees, and he says this, My Lord and my God. So now all of a sudden, because of who Jesus is, he's now proclaiming Jesus is Lord. And when I say Jesus is Lord, I'm saying Jesus is God. This becomes the apostles' central teaching all throughout the Bible, all throughout the New Testament. So Peter gives... Uh, his first sermon to a whole bunch of Jews that were gathered after Pentecost in Acts 2 and he says this, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. Redeemer, Savior, he's both Lord and Messiah. So Jesus is Lord meaning Jesus is God becomes the central theme. 618 times in the New Testament alone Jesus is referred to as Lord. He's only referred to as Savior a couple times. And we think about that concept all the time. He saved me from my sins. He's my Savior. But he is G- Jesus is Lord far more times than he is Savior. Listen to how, what, what this entails now. So Jesus is now talking about himself in Matthew 28, 18. We call this the Great Commission because this is where he, go, he says, go and make disciples. But he prefaces it with this statement. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See what he's saying? I'm Lord. All authority. I'm the one with authority. I am the one who can control. I am the owner now of everything. And because of that, excuse me, because of that, I'm saying, go and make disciples. Go and do these things. And, and you have to obey. Why? Because I am Lord. So that's what's, that's what's setting up right here when Jesus calls himself uh, Lord and when other people call him Lord. So Jesus is Lord because he is God. And it doesn't matter if you acknowledge it or not doesn't matter where you came from. If you just walked off the street and you don't know who Jesus is, he's already Lord. We don't make him Lord. right? I don't make Jesus Lord of my life. So now I want to look at what, what does surrender mean. We'll talk about this uh, more. But what does it mean to surrender to Jesus Christ? So when we say Jesus is Lord, we're committing ourselves to obey him. So we, we, we surrender to him. And here's the deal. You may, like, I've never said Jesus is Lord. If you are a Christian, if you have turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ, one of, the, one of the requirements in Romans ten nine is if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead or that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it comes with salvation. This is the, this is the, the mentality we have towards Jesus from the moment of salvation. The idea of becoming a a Christian somehow and not recognizing him as Lord is not in the Bible. So when we say Jesus is Lord and all who follow him do, this is our position, this is our saying we're going to obey him and commit to him. Why? Because he has all authority. He has all the power. He can control everything he wants. This is the fundamental, basic, foundational picture of what we do as disciples, of who we are as disciples. So I was trying to think like, so... I'm surrendering to God. What's, what's a picture of that? What's, a, what's an instance where, or a circumstance that I'm in where I'm completely surrendered? And uh, in my undergraduate studies, I studied aviation flight technology. So I went through all the training to become a pilot. So I was working through my private, my commercial, and whatever, finished all my private. And there was this girl I really liked, who is now my wife. But uh, I wanted to show her how cool it is for me to be a pilot. Come get in my airplane. So we went to the airport and... Uh, I open the door for her because it's one one engine, four seats, super tiny, right? So I open the door and I'm like, get in. I'll show you how to buckle all the crazy harnesses. And she's like hesitating. And I'm like, why aren't you getting an airplane? I'm like, I don't know why you'd be nervous. I have like a full 45 hours under my belt. I'm a seasoned (laughs) pilot. (laughs) I passed weeks ago. So she's hesitating. And it's because when you strap yourself into an airplane, you are completely surrendered to the capabilities of that pilot. And the airworthiness of that aircraft, like, you don't have any more say. You're just, you're in for the ride. If it goes down, where are you going? Down. Like, there's, you know, like, oh, pilot, I'd rather not. You know, you can't say that anymore. I, I think the other, another picture is, like, we go into the doctor, and we're going under. You know, they're, they're putting us under to do some surgery, and, and I'm, like, going, and I, I don't get to negotiate with the doctors anymore. I'm just like, do a good job. You know, like, I just trust I'm surrendered. It's whatever they do. I mean, if they chop off my leg, I don't get to say anymore. They did that. So I think there's some pictures to, to show us what, what it means. Like we're, we're giving up that control. You buckle into a plane and you're done. That's it. So here's the picture. If Jesus is Lord, and this is up there because it's key. We've got to think of Jesus Lord as owner. If Jesus is Lord, then he owns us. He has the right to tell us what to do. This is that picture. You know, we singing, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. We can't say, two words that go together, no, Lord. You can't, you cannot say that. You cannot have him be Lord and then also tell him no. It's not an option. It's yes, Lord, or it's nothing. So listen to what Jesus says in Luke 6. Because there were people, he's, he's addressing people who are going, Lord, Lord, but they're not obeying him. And he goes, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? That is so huge, man. As I was going through this, this is a hard sermon to work on because it's a hard message. Wait till we get to Mark 8.34. But just this idea, like so many times we we will worship him and we'll sing his praises and then we go out the door and we do what we want and we do what we think is best and we forget that he is Lord and every day needs to be surrendered to him. So Jesus is Lord, whether you like it or not, and we must surrender daily. There's some positions of surrender that will help us um, understand. And uh, if, I, if I had a gun right now and I was like, surrender, what would you do? <laughs> That's right. I, I give up. My hands are empty. You know, like, you win. That is, that is the universal, like, international sign of surrender. Boom. Hands up. So it, it's just everyone understands that and it's just I, I can't do anything. You have the bigger army or the bigger gun or whatever it is. Like you're in control. You're in charge. That's the way we approach Jesus. So that's why a lot of these these positions of surrender, you see them in our worship. How many times do we sing songs where we're like, we're raising our hands to Jesus. We're acknowledging right now you're Lord and I surrender to you and whatever it is that you want to have me do, right? What's well, another position of surrender? We have these benches down here. So kneeling... Before Jesus, or before God, is a a common act of worship. Sometimes we pray uh, that way. We pray on our knees. Another one that is is most common in scripture, when people come face to face with the glory and majesty of God, they're laid out flat. Several times it says they're laid out flat like like they're dead. That's what it is to be in the presence of God, is to be laid out flat, aware of... our sin in front of a holy and amazing God. So those positions of surrender, the reason why we do that with our body, why raise my hands, get on my knees, lay down, that's because when my body is doing that, my heart can mirror that position of surrender. Right? When my hands are up, my heart is saying, I want to follow you. You're the one who has control. When we get on our knees, we're surrendering to Jesus. Those positions of surrender are key. We've got to remember Faith in the Lord Jesus is required for salvation. It's a position of surrender to Jesus in our new life in Christ. So he's Lord. Now, I mentioned this before. He's Lord whether you like it or not, and whether you understand that or not, or whether you even know that or not. So it's true for all people, everywhere, all the time. And it has been. And so I want to fast forward to the end of time really quick to show you what this means. Someday, everyone is going to submit to this truth. Listen to Philippians 2. God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow. There's that position of surrender. Every knee. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. All people of all time are going to bow down on their knees and they're going to say every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Why? For the glory or to the glory of God the Father. So that's, that's what everyone is going to acknowledge that at some point, right? And it's going to be too late for some, but for those of us who choose to follow and to do this now, this is what our life looks like. We get down on our knees before Jesus and we say, you are the controller of my life. I'm no longer master of my fate or captain of my soul. You own me completely. That's what we're looking at here. So what does this mean? It's like, what does it mean to surrender to Jesus as Lord? So I just want to look at Mark 8, 34, 35. People have categorized some sections of scripture and gone like, that's a hard saying of Jesus. That's a hard teaching. And it's hard because it, it just clashes directly with my sin nature and the things that I want to do in my life. And this is one of those. I had a hard time with this. Because you can't dig into these scriptures and not, and not run in your own life through them? And is this true for me? Is this, is this something I stand up and I say it is true? And it was hard. So we're going to be looking at Mark 8, 34 and 35. And uh, yes, let's just read it. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. There's some hard stuff in there. We're going to be looking at a few of those phrases, three of them. But I just want to, we need to, we need to know where was this written? When was it written? So in Mark 8, some key things just happened. One, he just fed 4,000 men. So we're thinking probably 10,000-ish people. That is a huge crowd that he's speaking to. And it says right at the beginning, and he called the whole crowd to him. So there's multitude, thousands of people. So who's in that crowd? We got people who have varied commitment levels to Jesus. We got people who are just looking for the next meal, right? I mean, they just had bread and fish. Or maybe they're looking for more bread and fish. You got people who, who are, are skeptical of who Jesus is saying he is, like he's saying some pretty amazing things, and he's doing some awesome things, but I'm not super sure if he's the Messiah, the one, right? There's religious teachers, professional religious people, who are paid to teach other people how to follow Jesus, or how to follow God and obey his laws, and those people are not liking Jesus at all, because he's calling them hypocrites and whatever, so they're, they're not there, they're just scowling in the corner. There's people who are disciples of Jesus, right? They're already saying, I've already given up a year, and a, half, a year and a half of my life to follow you. So we've got the whole spectrum. So I just, as we listen to these verses, don't think Jesus is in a room somewhere given, you know, step two discipleship training for people who are hardcore and want to go the next distance, right? They want to get really serious to follow Jesus Christ. This is his introductory remarks. He says, come, anybody who wants to follow me, And I'll give you, this is what it's going to be like. If anyone wants to follow me, you're going to do these things. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Like, these are hard words. Wait till we talk about them. They get harder. So this is William Barclay. He is a uh, theologian. And he wasn't right on everything, but this statement is awesome. No one could ever say that he was induced to follow Jesus by false pretenses. Jesus never tried to bribe men by the offer of an easy way. Right, he, didn't, he didn't trick people into following him and go, Hey, it's awesome. I'll give you everything you ever want. It'll be great. It'll just, you know, whatever. He was very honest about what, it, what life with him is going to be like. These are his introductory remarks. I, it makes me think of the rich young ruler. This guy who was powerful and he had tons and tons of money and he comes to Jesus Christ and gets on his knees. He says, What do I have to do to be saved? Jesus says some stuff and then he says, You're going to have to sell everything to follow me. He looks at the guy he knows his, his possessions and his attachments to things that he owns are going to be a barrier in his walk with Jesus Christ. And so he's looking at him going, that's got to go. You've got to sell these things and follow me. And the man gets up and he goes away sad because he just, that's not worth it, right? I, I'm going to go away. And the Bible says Jesus looked at him as he walked away and he loved him. But he didn't run after him and go, ah, I'm just kidding. Come back. We could really use all that money on the campaign trail. Like, you can help us not have to sleep on rocks. And, you know, we could buy nice hotels or whatever. He doesn't change it to make it easier for the guy. The call remains the same, right? you got to give up everything to follow me. And this is what he's saying. But listen, listen to what Jesus is saying. Essentially, he's going, if anyone would follow me, and I hope you do, because I'm going to give you abundant life, eternal life that will last forever. Right? If anyone's going to follow me, and I hope you do, this is what you're in for. Right? Introductory statement to everyone. People who have not even seen Jesus before. They just wandered into this crowd, and they're just listening to him say this. This is for everybody. So we're going to look at three phrases uh, to wrap up here. Number one, deny yourself. Number two, take up your cross. And number three, lose your life for my sake. I used the word wrap up, but we're like halfway done. So simmer, simmer down. Don't get too excited. Number one, deny yourself. Again, we got to look at what it means to deny yourself because these words and these verses, and they appear several times. They're recorded in Luke 9, same. They've been, they've been misused and misapplied. So we need to look at what scripture means when it says deny yourself. The word deny means to resist or to reject or to refuse. Right? And sometimes when we want to know, okay, I, I get that, that's what the dictionary says, or even a Bible dictionary says that's what that means. I need to look, where, where can I find that in Scripture used elsewhere to better understand? And there's a picture of the same word is used in this story where Peter denies Jesus. Right, So Jesus get, gets arrested, and he's hauled off for his many fake trials, and Peter follows. All the other disciples scatter. Peter follows, not closely, but at a distance. He doesn't want to be like associated with Jesus. And, he, and Jesus is in trial, and so Peter's hanging out by the fire with these other people, just waiting to find out what happens to Jesus. And all these people keep coming up to Peter and going, weren't you the one who was with Jesus? Like, I can tell from your accent, you've got to be one of his followers. And he's like, no, that's not me. And, there, and then another lady comes up and he goes, no, you were with him. I saw you, blah, blah, blah. And so he keep, they keep accusing him of being with Jesus. And Peter finally gets upset. He calls down curses, and he swears, I don't know the man. I never knew the man. And it says then that's Peter denying him. The exact same word that Jesus uses to say deny yourself is the same word used when it says Peter denied Jesus. It's saying, this is what we're saying when we say deny yourself. I don't know the person. Before we get into a little more about that, I just want to just like side note what it doesn't mean. Because here's some ways that it gets twisted. Denying yourself Might mean giving up things like jesus turned to that rich young man rich young ruler and said you got to sell those things I can tell that has got an unhealthy attachment on your heart And you're going to need to give it up to follow me It could mean that but that's not what jesus is saying in this verse. It's not what he's getting at It it could mean denying things, but it's not necessarily that it also doesn't mean denying your self-worth Right in fact, when you accept Jesus, we our worth increases. Our value increases because now we're fully aware of who we are in Christ and what he has designed us for. So our worth, it's not denying our self-worth. It, denying yourself does not mean denying your feelings. And some people would say that if you're following Jesus and enjoying it, you're doing it wrong. But that's not what Jesus is saying here either. Denying, your, denying yourself does not mean denying yourself happiness. And finally, we definitely don't check our brains at the door to follow Jesus, right? We're not denying our brains or intellectual, like, powers of reason or rational thought. Oh, my word. Jesus will stand up to the scrutiny of any scientist or brilliant mind there is. So we're not checking our brains at the door. To deny yourself—and this is weird because we don't don't think of it like this— but we're denying our self-lordship. So, like, to say it a whole bunch of ways so we hear— I'm saying no to the God who is me. Right? I'm rejecting the demands of the God who is me. So I no longer listen to the claims that I have on my own life. Those are not what dictate my life. I'm putting that all down. Why? Because Jesus is Lord over everything, and I am surrendering to him. And see how this is starting to get really hard? Hard. So essentially, I'm saying, I don't know, Lord, me. Remember, Peter was like, I don't even know the man. That's what we're saying. I do not know the Lord who is me. I do not bow down to him anymore. Listen to this um, picture in Galatians 2.20. This is the the mark of a disciple. This is not an optional add-on or a part two addendum. I have been crucified with Christ. I have died with Christ, and I no longer live. Christ lives in me the life. I now live in the body. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me So this this picture of dying with Christ slides right into this next picture uses which is take up your cross All right part two the second one He says is take up your cross and this one's been misunderstood and misapplied as well people will say you know, they'll have like a negative life experience or um like an ailment or something, and then go every morning the wake up, this is the cross I have to bear. I have to, this is the cross I have to bear, right? It's just a negative thing. But Jesus is talking about so much more than just a negative life experience when he talks about this. We have to listen like they would have listened. Because taking up your cross today, like, was that the little chain I put around my neck? I mean, that doesn't, that's, that's not, that's removed from our culture. When they heard him say that, they would have cringed because that is, that is ugly, ugly, pictures in their head. I mean, it's, it's repulsive to even think about. It's offensive, and it's an offensive, shocking word picture, because the people who would take up their cross, those are convicted criminals moments away from their public execution on a, on a cross. Where they're near. It's, a, it's an instrument of torture. And so that picture is someone who, just after their trial, picks up their own cross beam, right, and carries, just what Jesus did, but he carries the cross, in front of everyone, all the way out of town, up onto the hill, to his own public execution. So Jesus is saying, you're going to be like that. When we talk about crucified with Christ, this is the, the mentality in our head. This, this is, we're like a dead man walking. Our life has ended. We have new life in Christ, and so our mentality is this. Just like that man picking up his cross and carrying him out, a man on his way to public crucifixion was compelled to, to abandon all earthly hopes and ambitions. It's getting harder. Listen to what Jesus is calling us to do as his followers. He's calling his followers to think of ourselves as already dead, to bury all our earthly hopes and dreams, to bury the plans and agendas we made for ourselves at the foot of the cross. We're putting it all down. Now, Jesus gets to have the option because he's Lord. He can either resurrect your dreams or he will replace them with dreams and plans of his own. You don't get to pick. We lay it all down. Jesus is Lord of every single thing that you have hoped for and wanted. Some of those things need to be run through the blood of Jesus Christ and molded to match his design for your life. Like, but if he chooses not to use that part of your life, you don't get to have a say. Jesus is Lord. So you lay it all down like you're never going to see it again and then you go through life and he leads you and he guides you and he may resurrect those dreams right up again and let you do those because those were God-given dreams or he has a plan for that or he wants to use that in you. We don't get to choose. This is a hard saying but we got to remember who we're talking about. If this was anybody but Jesus, this would be ridiculous. Right? This is so freeing because listen to this. All forms of human bondage in this world are the result of us being the gods of our own life. Misdirecting our own focus and worship and and everything away from God, the only one that we should be worshiping, the only one worthy of all our worship. We misdirect that even a little bit. All of the problems of life are ours. Every time we run after the gods of this world, right, when I seek after food or sex or entertainment, I'm striving after success or money, if I'm looking for achievement or even romance, or I'm putting my energy on my family or even myself, all of these things, these are gods that are not Jesus, right? These are all good things. Some of these, no, all of them are good things. <laughs> good things God designed for our pleasure, but when they become the focus, when they're the Lord of our life, when the God is me, it keeps us from the intimate relationship with God that we desire. This is the position, the foundational position we are in before Jesus. He is the Lord. We will only get freedom when we lay down our right to rule. We get off the throne and we say no to the God that is me. We live as if the gods that are us are already dead. They're already dead. They don't have that hold on us. And we replace all our earthly desires with good godly desires that come from Christ. And that leads us to the last thing, which is he says we got to lose our life for his sake. So how do we do that? What is this picture? And it's the same. All three of these are leading. They all just come together. We have to invest all that we are and have for Him and His gospel. So, like, how? What is that? By assuming a position of surrender. That's why we have these benches, so we can come down and assume that position. And you can do that anywhere. And we say this to Jesus, our Lord here is my home, my family, my checkbook, my calendar. My talents, my gifts, my brain, my heart, my hands, my feet, my mouth. And we say, here, it's all yours. It's like sliding a blank check we've already endorsed across the table, and we just say, Jesus, you write on it. Anything you put down, I'm going to do. Anything you say, I'm going to do. I'm going to obey. I'm fully surrendered to this ride you have me on because you are the only good god and we got to remember this is super risky if we're using worldly wisdom this is ludicrous it does not make any sense but if we recognize who jesus is and what matters in this world what's going to last all the 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 success the money the achievement all that's going to go right the only thing that matters is his glory and his kingdom and so when we invest our lives into that nothing else matters it's, this is, uh, ugh, it's rough. Jim Elliott lived this way. This guy was a missionary who died at the hands of the tribe that he was trying to reach, right? They speared him to death, him and like six other guys who were missionaries to this tribe, and, and he was already living like this. It's why he was trying to reach one of the most deadly tribes in South, South America. And this is what he had written beforehand. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Right? It's, he's saying it's worth it. It's worth it. You're not stupid. You're not dumb. If you can give up, if you give up your life now, all the things, that your hopes and your dreams, if you give that all up to Jesus, surrender your life to Jesus, you will gain what you cannot lose, an abundant life, an eternal life in the presence of God that's what he's saying remember she's opening words to people who might want to be interested in following him he says if anyone would follow after me and I hope you will because I've got abundant eternal life this is what you're in for this is what it's going to be and it's worth it it's worth it he is worth it so I'm going to have Bram come to the piano because I want to close with some questions Um, because Jesus is Lord that's the big idea and the question we have is, am I surrendering to him? Right? But there are some questions that we can ask ourselves. And there's a lot more than the eight or so that I wrote down. These questions will reveal your hearts, our hearts, are we surrendered to Jesus? So I just I want to read through these. And in fact, yesterday morning when I met with um, my guys, we, we meet every week. And this is what we do. We ask each other questions like this. Because saying that this is hard to follow Is not an understatement Oh my gosh This is what it means to follow Jesus And it is a daily struggle Of making little decisions Over and over By the grace and power of God working in us To be obedient and to surrender to him So I need these guys to every single week Ask me if I am living this way This is a position Is your heart in a position of surrender to Jesus So as we go through this I, I hope and pray you have people like that who, who, who can talk and, and, and pray with you and encourage you on this daily struggle to be more like Jesus this is what our honor groups need to be dominated by these questions our, our your discipleship groups that was why I called my meeting with my guys for accountability and we were just at Starbucks and this is the stuff that we need to be in every single day because it is hard because the God who is me is not going down without a fight Right, The battle is won and I'm saved, but every single morning I wake up and I'm in charge. John Maxwell, he says every morning he tries to get out and have the first thing to touch the ground be his knees. And he says, be careful, because if you haven't practiced, it can be painful. But he like rolls out of bed and he gets his knees to the ground first so that he starts every single day in the position of surrender that's going to get him through the day and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. So I'm just going to read through these. And, and you allow the Holy Spirit to just check your heart. Is this do these questions reveal a heart that is surrendered to God? So here we go. Am I making tough decisions to put Christ first in how I use my time? Am I asking what would Jesus want me to do in this situation? For every situation. This is this a characteristic of my life? Am I surrendering my mind to Jesus? Are my thoughts honoring to Christ? Am I allowing things into my heart that do not glorify Christ? Think movies. Think music. Think conversations with people around you in your life. Are things going in your heart? Because remember that verse out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth will speak. Are the things coming out of your mouth reflecting a heart that's surrendered to Jesus Christ? Let's keep going. Are my relationships honoring to God? Have I surrendered my body to Christ? Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, do it all for the glory of God? Am I obedient to Christ in the way I serve others? Am I obeying God's commands to love my neighbor and share the gospel with him? And this last one, good question. To know if your heart is surrendered to Jesus. Am I living so that if people get to know me, they'll get to know Jesus better? Will your kids get to know Jesus better because of them hanging out with you? Will your co-workers know Jesus better because of their time spent with you? This is the kind of questions that we need to be wrestling with. This is why it is so hard, because it goes against every hardwired thing in me, It's towards bent towards sin and self. And I'm struggling to make Jesus the center and the one who is in control and who owns my every thought and my every action. This is so difficult. So right now, we're just gonna close in prayer. And as I'm praying, be praying for your own heart. Like, let the Holy Spirit do whatever He needs to do. There's, there's things on this list that challenge the snot out of me that were hard to even write. I was like, I don't even want to mention that one. I'll just s- skip it. But there is nothing outside of the control of Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Oh, Jesus, on this Father's Day, to have to get into this, this central teaching of who you are. God, I just... I pray that every single one who is, who is hearing these words is understanding that it is worth it. It's worth giving up our hopes and dreams to have you be in charge and you to resurrect the hopes and dreams or replace the ones in our life that, that need to be replaced so that we can have abundant life in you. You have, you have uh, plans for us that are good and we can't, even, we can't even fathom sometimes the things that you have for us. God, I pray that this would be the central uh, Characteristic of our life, the daily discipline, the daily position towards you is just surrender. God, we give up. We want you to be in complete control. Help us to daily die to the things that distract us, the success, the achievement, the, the, the money, the, the running after pleasure, whatever it is, God, all of that, so that we can be we can be focused on the things that matter and the things that have a lasting value in this world and in the next. God, we thank you and praise you for who you are and the work that you're doing in this church, in the individual lives of the people here, the families that you are, you are, you are building and molding and the people you're bringing to be, to be part of what's going on here. God, I just thank you and praise you for that and what you're going to do in the future. We're excited about the, the things that your Holy Spirit is going to do. We ask that you would be the Lord of our life and that we would live in a way that's completely surrendered to you. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus, and we all say, amen.